Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jordan Hill. With me this week is Kip Adams. Kip, we are four days away from Georgia football. How is this Tuesday morning treat? My goodness, it's game week already. Uh, you know what? It's treating me pretty well. I think uh, so far so good. It's it's kind of the lull before the storm. It's uh, you know we're doing our our normal uh, game week activities. It just it kind of doesn't feel like it. It hasn't. It kind of hit me that. You know, we just had college football last week and with, a, you know, a couple games, but week one is right here. And uh, I don't know, I guess uh, the pressure's not on us, obviously. I think we're going to, we get a pretty good chance of, of uh, doing our job well. I, I trust all of us to, to, to get it done. But uh, for Georgia, it's just, uh, you know, a very unique offseason, obviously one that we haven't experienced in our line of work. And it's just, uh, it, it kind of feels like, you know, everything's kind of uh, new. It's a new feeling for starting off that, you know, another big time uh, game for Georgia to start the season. And it's just interesting to see what everyone's expectations are, whether, you know, there's pressure on the, you know, the team, uh, what uh, what the fan base is looking for, which fans are still kind of celebrating January 10th. It, it's, it's just a very interesting week. And I, I'm interested to see how you know, the actual team uh, goes out there and, and uh, performs after winning it all. Yeah, you said no pressure on us, Kip. Hey, we got to watch out for typos, you know, posting stories. To, hey, I got to say, you know, they're playing the Ducks. And one of the other beat writers who remain nameless slipped up and misspelled duck for a second. Had to catch that yesterday while we were working. <laughs> so, so there is a little bit of room for error this week, but uh, that'll get you some page views. Hey, it, it might until it goes down. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, I'm going to talk just for a few minutes about what we heard yesterday. Uh, you know, it was kind of to kick off uh, the start of game week, you know, having a chance to, you know, honestly talk to several different people, Kirby Smart, Nolan Smith, Stetson Bennett, Christopher Smith, Cedric Van Pran previewing uh, this week. And, uh, you know, the things that really stood out to me, uh, you know, a lot of praise for Michael Williams, which I had a story go up this morning. Talking about Michael, I mean, you know, the the thing, uh, going back to the spring, Kirby really talked about not wanting to compare anybody to anybody. And everybody made that natural comparison to Trayvon Walker. And then we had Nolan Smith say, you know, he's a, he's a spitting image of, of Trayvon Walker. And then uh, Rylan Goaty on his podcast with Tate Ratledge said, that's Trayvon Walker Jr. there. So if you're a Georgia fan, I think your ears should really perk up about what they're saying about Michael, and especially for Kirby. Uh, you know, he didn't compare him to Trayvon Walker, but he was saying, you know, how he's not really your typical freshman about the way he's gone about his business, the things he's done to prepare himself, and, and said that he's done pretty much everything a freshman needs to do to put himself in position to play. I think that's such a great sign for Michael as a true freshman and what he can bring to the table. Uh, other things that stood out, you know, I, I think Dan Lanning was talked about a good bit, uh, you know, and, and Kirby kind of downplayed what kind of a, a big deal that would be, um, you know, any kind of advantage uh, that Dan may have, uh, given his familiarity with Georgia, uh, you know, he kind of downplayed that. And I think it's fair, you know, I think a lot has changed and, and, uh, you know, the, these guys have had spring practice and a fall camp under their belts, uh, you know, since Dan left. A lot has changed and, you know, a lot of roster movement uh, just in general. Uh, so I thought it was fair to kind of downplay those thoughts. 
And uh, and to me, getting ready for this Oregon game, which later in the week we'll have a podcast, really going in depth about Oregon. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be the the defensive line against Oregon's offensive line. That's the biggest key to me. I think that's what's going to make the biggest difference. Nolan Smith talked about that group and, and the talent they have. To me, that's where this game's going to be won and lost. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. Again, we'll, we'll podcast and, and talk about Oregon a little bit later in the week. Uh, but, yeah, ni- a nice little kind of start up, uh, getting ready for the season, having a chance to talk to those guys. We'll have some more interviews tonight, so I'll have some more stories coming at, coming out of that. And just excited for game week, man. It's uh, It's been a long off season and ready to get it going. And uh, so we're going to get this thing started, Kip. Uh, this is sort of our predictions episode of the podcast we're going to start with some over-unders that we came up with kind of talk back and forth with uh, individual players also offense and defense kind of looking big picture and uh, then we'll sort of transition to the overall record we think georgia will have when the year is done so i'm going to start uh, with you kip and we're going to start uh, with the guy that we've talked about throughout the offseason very naturally quarterback stetson bennett and uh, we got a few of the Stat lines down there, and we are going to start with his completion percentage. The over-under of 68%. Kip, are you going over or under for Stetson this year? I'm going to go over. I think that, you know, one of the benefits that we've talked about a little bit, but, you know, it still could be kind of a hidden benefit to some, is just the fact that this is his first offseason being able to to practice with the uh with the starters with the ones the whole offseason and and not just that i mean look at the guys that he has coming back it's it's you know basically his number one number two number three you know receiver from last year i mean we know george pickens when he came back at the end you know that was that was a boost but uh you know his impact wasn't really as big as you know anyone would have you know expected going into last year because of that injury so i think I think he has the, you know, what he needs to to kind of make that jump. And I think 68 and a half, 69% is well within, you know, his capabilities. It's going to come down to him being able to utilize the whole field. A lot of times when we're watching Stetson, you know, we're going to talk about his height, you know, as being something that is going to impact his performance. And sometimes it does. Being able to not to see the middle of the field, but to see the whole field and to see sometimes when he has some guys open. The one thing that we can't really, you know, know for sure is is whether that's by design. Sometimes you'll see a guy running open. Maybe that's by design to try to pull the defender's eyes, you know, away from his intended target. But nevertheless, you know, we see guys running open. We're we're expecting Stetson to hit that guy. I, I think this offseason's given him, you know, the reps needed to be able to to do that and you know we know he's going to be asked a lot he's going to be throwing a higher at a higher rate most likely and there's a chance that, you know his his efficiency goes down a notch but i just think that you know you got a guy coming back for a fifth year he's been in the system and when you have all your weapons coming back to in the passing game uh I, I think the recipe is there for for him to really really have a big year and the offensive line should be one of, you know, if not the best in, in the country as well. So I think all the tools are there for him, for Stetson to thrive. And I think that you know, pushing close to 70% should be the goal. And I think it's it's one that's within reach for him. I'm going to go slightly under, and it's just because of a point you made, Kip. I think they're going to be willing to let him throw a little bit more. Now, I still think 
you know, I believe his uh, completion percentage last year was somewhere around 65. I think he's just going to be a tick under 68, somewhere around like 67. But I think, again, I think they are not going to feel as much like they got to really run the ball and, and only throw when they really have to, which, you know, as the season went along, I think they got more and more comfortable letting Stetson air it out. Uh, so that's sort of where I'm leaning. I'm going to go under on 68%. Uh, I will start on the next one with the yards, 3,100 yards. I'm going to go slightly over. I think that he's got an opportunity again to the point we were just making to say that he's got a chance to really air it out. And, you know, it's it's been funny. I kind of feel like I've been saying the same thing over and over on different radio hits talking about this offense. They've got so many different pieces and I think we'll really see this as we talk about some of the receiving yards over and under as we get to in a few minutes. But I think that they're going to utilize so many different opportunities, so many different weapons in this offense, that I think it's going to let Stetson, you know, accumulate some of those numbers and really be able to take, you know, how many yards he throws for in a game and see that bump up a good bit. Um, again, I kind of think uh, – when it comes to different receivers, you know, they may not, you know, I, I still am not convinced we'll see like a thousand yard receiver this year, but I think that's for the betterment of the team that we're going to see several different guys involved and in, in playing big roles. So yeah, I'm going to go over 3,100 yards. Kip, where are you feeling uh, as far as over under on that? I feel fairly confident. If, if Stetson Bennett is healthy and plays the entire season, I think he gets over 3,100 yards. I think, him averaging 250 yards a game is well within reach. And I think if Georgia has a season that, you know, we think they're capable of, they're probably going to play in 14 games. You know, if they're in Atlanta and playing in either a bowl game or college football playoff game, then he's going to get 14 games to play in this year if he's healthy. And I think, if you know, if he's hitting right at a two, 250 a clip, you know, I got him a, a little over 3,400. I'll just say 3,450 is my prediction for Stetson Bennett this year. Like I said, we, we think that they're going to need him to do a little bit more this year, and I, I think that he's going to be asked to throw it at, at a rate that's going to put him in that uh, in, in, in line to, you know, to have those stats. If you remember last year, I mean, you look at him throwing for 2,862 yards last year. He also had JT Daniels with starts in there, over 700 yards there. So, I mean, that's – still over 3,500, 3,600 yards pretty much between the two of them. If Stetson's getting the bulk of that work, you know, and throwing at a higher rate being asked to throw, I think 3,400 should be, you know, well within reach for him. And, you know, I, th I think that's a pretty prolific year. Uh, one of the, you know, the better years for a Georgia quarterback and probably a, you know, maybe top 15 passer in the entire country when all is said and done. So, you're just looking at the SEC. I think he could end up being, you know, maybe, maybe not in the top two, but maybe the number three passer in the SEC in terms of uh, how many yards he's going to throw for this year. Let's take the last part of the Bennett over under and just kind of pair them up, answer them at the same time. Touchdowns and interceptions. As I said it at 33 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Kip, how do you feel about each of those? Uh, I'm going to stick with uh, 34 touchdowns. I'm going to take the over. Like I said, if he's throwing, you know, if he's being asked to do more, I think those touchdowns are going to come, uh, you know, at a higher rate. But I also do think, you know, the the interceptions. If if he's throwing a hundred more times, and let's just say if if he's pushing 400 pass attempts, eight interceptions is probably the best over under you've said on this thing. It's really tough because I, I want to give that one a push, but 
You know what? I'll, I'll take the over. He is a gunslinger when all is said and done. I think he's going to make some throws that, you know, it's going to have everyone kind of, uh, uh, you know, throwing their fists in the air and, and wondering why. Uh, it's still part of who he is, but he's also, because he takes those chances, is going to have some guys break open at the last minute and, and win some 50-50 balls for Georgia as well. So I'm going to take the over on both. Yeah, I think that's where I'm leaning. I think, again, it just kind of boils down to them feeling more comfortable and allowing him to throw more. I think he is going to go over. I'd say probably like 35 touchdowns is what I would feel comfortable with, somewhere in that range. And then, yeah, I think he's going to probably be hovering right around double-digit interceptions. Again, nothing you know, nothing crazy. That's just a matter of how he plays and, again, being asked to throw a lot. And uh, sometimes uh, those turnovers happen. But uh I think Georgia and uh, Stetson, this passing offense, is set up for a really good year, and uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch and, and see how it all plays out. Uh, this next one, to me, is probably the one I'm most interested in and kind of going back and forth with how I feel. Kenny McIntosh, 900 rushing yards. Are you going over or under, Kip, on that number? Put me on the spot here. Uh, I will go – Oh, so slightly over. Uh, I'll have him at 850. Um, I, I think that, you know, he could have three to 400 yards receiving as well. Um, kind of in that 12 to 1300 yard total yards range is where I kind of have him going right now. I, I, I don't know. Like this one's I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with because I just feel like you said, you said it high, man. You said it a little high for him. I think I think Kenny ends up with 850 rushing, maybe 350 yards receiving, and uh, if we're talking total touchdowns, we are. Uh, you know, I'll I'll take the uh, the under. I think he's right under that at nine touchdowns. Uh, I I think that uh, you know he's got to stay healthy for the whole year. Uh, I and I think that they're still going to mix it in with some other guys. I I think 1200 yards, 1250 yards total. Nine touchdowns is probably where I have Kenny going at right now. That feels fair. You know, the way I kind of looked at the rushing yard total, looks like the number one back, arguably been the guy we've heard the most about coming out of fall camp. I'm going to just kind of kind of hedge here. I'm going to go slightly over on rushing yards just because I, I do think he's going to wind up being that lead guy. But I'm going to go under on the touchdowns. I, I'm taking that just sort of as rushing touchdowns at number 10. Uh, but I think he's going to be a huge part of this offense. I think he made a good point, Kip. And two, that might kind of uh, you know factor into his rushing yard total is he is going to be used a whole lot in this passing game. And uh, you know, as far as total yards, I think he's got an opportunity to really help this offense in a number of ways. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, you should be excited. I think he's a guy that brings a lot to the table and has a chance to have a really good season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just look and see what they did with James Cook last year. He had over a thousand yards from scrimmage and eleven touchdowns. I think Kenny McIntosh uh, might not be as as explosive, but uh, I think his hands might be a little bit better than James Cook. So I think you know he's a guy that could easily have over three hundred yards receiving and have four or five touchdown catches as well. So yeah, I, I think uh, you know twelve fifty yards from scrimmage. Yeah, I don't know on the on the how he's scoring the touchdowns. You know, I think he might have double digit total touchdowns, but if we're doing rushing, it's probably under ten right now. Go on to another guy we've heard a lot about going through the fall, getting ready for the season. A. D. Mitchell, who really looks like is going to be that lead receiver. 
Over under 850 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. I'll start with this one, Kip. I'm going to go slightly over on the receiving yards. I do think that it's going to be a very interesting mix between how these tight ends are used, how the receivers are used, what the kind of breakdown is. And, you know, the the thing that always sticks to me or comes to mind when I look at these things, you know, the coaches are not going to be worried about what the receiving yards look like, who's the leading receiver. They're like, hey, did we win the game? Was the offense effective? Did we score points? And that's sort of the thing that comes to mind and what really sticks with me when you look through and trying to determine what the stats will look like, that sort of thing. I'm going to go slightly over on the receiving yards. I don't think AD is going to be around that 1,000-yard mark that we've talked about that has been sort of the the uh, the thing Georgia has chased since Terrence Edwards was here. But I think he's ready for a really good year. Uh, as far as receiving touchdowns, that's about where I kind of feel like he would go. I'll, I'll be p- optimistic and go slightly over, maybe nine touchdowns. Uh, but I think he's ready for a big year, and I think he has an opportunity to really play an important role in this offense. It's one of the few remaining aspects uh, of the Georgia program that other coaches are still kind of recruiting against Kirby, and that's that's the wide receiver position. And with that in mind, I think that uh, that'll be in the back of Kirby's mind, just taking one more thing away. He wants to win in any way possible, but I think he'll find a way. And it, again, it really these predictions, it, it still boils down to, our, can, you know, these guys healthy the whole year. And so we're assuming that with all of these guys, if A.D. Mitchell's playing and again, 14 games, you know, I, I think he can get 75 yards a game. I just think he's. Uh, the kind of player who wins the 50-50 battles uh, is elusive. And Georgia's weapons, I mean, again, the next guy we're going to talk about is going to take up a lot of attention. And then we've spent the whole offseason talking about this tight end room, you know, and what they have in Eric Gilbert, what they have in Darnell Washington. Gosh, how are we not – how are they not going to have Oscar Delp on the field too? Like, it's, it's all the weapons they have there. Uh, and, and at the same time, I, I think they're, you know – A.D. Mitchell has a chance to to be their most talented pass catcher when all is said and done. I think he's going to be uh, featured in this offense better than really anyone on, on the team. I just think that you, we're looking at Kenny McIntosh being a complete back. We're looking at the best tight end room in the country with the best tight end in the country. And I think that's also going to just open things up for A.D. the entire season. I have him going over 1,000 yards, 1,050 yards for wow. A.D. Mitchell for me. And I do not think he's going to have eight touchdowns. I'll put him at five touchdowns. Things just get different in the red zone. Big plays are, you know, uh, you can't always count on the 40 and 50 yard uh, bomb, uh, you know, to get in the end zone. And a lot of times Georgia doesn't. It's not really something that, you know, they're worried about. They want explosive plays, but it doesn't really matter what part of the field that they happen to. Just get them in in the area so they can, they can get in the red zone and, and make it happen. I really think that's, where those tight ends are going to siphon off a lot of the the touchdowns and Kenny McIntosh catching the ball out of the backfield is probably going to take a couple as well. So, you know, I have him having five touchdowns, a thousand and fifty receiving yards, and then one more feather in Kirby's cap, and he'll be able to go this offseason and, and you know, tell wide receivers, look, uh, we did it. Okay. We had a thousand yard receiver. It's done. We, you know, we only have one in our program history in Terrence Edwards. Now we have two. So that's that's one less question mark. Uh, for you guys, you can put up numbers in Georgia's offense and win big-time football games when all is said and done. My old buddy from University of North Georgia, Jacob Hudson, in the comments said, that is a super hot take, Kip. You are just going all out there. 
we have got one more offensive guy to talk about before uh, we switch the defense. We're going to take a break first, but before we do that, I want to make sure and tell everybody to subscribe to Dogs247 uh, on YouTube. Get a chance to see all the videos, all the good stuff we've got. Uh, there are links to that in the comments for everybody watching on Facebook Live. You can go on there and subscribe, all kinds of good stuff, and only more coming with the season almost here. So uh, we are going to take a quick break, but come back, do some more over-unders, and also eventually get a chance to talk about our season predictions for the team. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yeah, Kip, this feels like a fitting way to end the offense, and it's looking at Brock Bowers, who was obviously the freshman breakthrough last year. We've got him at 880 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. I am going to go under on the receiving yards, and I think I'm going to go slightly under on the touchdowns. I think it's just going to be a product of something we talked about a few minutes ago. I think a lot more people are going to be involved in this offense, catching the ball, also, at his position group, I mean, the amount of talent they've got and are going to utilize, I think that Brock's going to have a really good year, still have a chance to win that John Mackey Award as the nation's top tight end. But I think those gaudy stats you saw from last year, I just don't think with what they've got to work with around him, he's going to quite hit that mark with either uh, stat. He should be, uh, you know, a potential two-time Mackey Award winner, but that's a whole nother conversation to have. You know, he was obviously the best tight end in college football last year. I think the interesting aspect was, is, you know, Alabama knew exactly what he brought to the table, you know, by the time they played in Atlanta and he still pretty much did whatever he wanted against that Alabama defense. And that, that is the only aspect of, of this that's making me kind of think, you know, Brock's already seen, you know, all the attention given to him by an elite defense, and it still didn't matter. Now he's going into year two, and he has chemistry with his quarterback. You know, are we saying we've already seen the best of Brock Bowers after year one? And, and for that aspect, it, it kind of makes me, you know, pause a little bit. You know, replacing Jermaine Burton with Gilbert, you know, maybe that's that's a wash statistically. Really, it boils down to when I think about last year is Bowers kind of had to be that number one guy because they kept having injuries at the, you know, and they were rotating guys in and out of receiver, not by choice a lot of the time. AD Mitchell was still kind of coming into his own and Brock just went in there and was immediately the, you know, the, the alpha and, and the number one guy in that group. But the group's healthy this year. They should be able to, to spread the ball around by choice and kind of do what they want so they don't have to force the ball to Brock Bowers if they don't need to. And I, I think that if the defense is going to bracket him, uh, I, I think it's, it's Stetson knows that he has other guys he can trust on the team. So I don't think it's anything to do with Brock. I think it's just going to be more of a game plan thing. And, you know, they're still going to utilize him, obviously. But I, I don't think he hits the number just because – I don't think that they're they're going to need him to this year. So I got him going under on the receiving yards and on the touchdowns. Let's just say he ends up with like 730 yards receiving, uh, eight touchdown catches, maybe another touchdown run. Uh, that would have been that should have been good enough to win the Mackey Award last year. Um, so you know I'll go ahead and uh, allow the the under and still acknowledge that he's probably going to be the best tight end in college football again this year. And uh, you know I I think that. 
he'll still make it happen when they need him to. I don't think you really got to worry about Brock. And I think that's something that Kirby Smart and this coaching staff realized real early on that he's a self-starter. And when you get guys like that, uh, they're truly special. And so and they're going to utilize them, but I don't think they're going to have to force the ball to him this year. I agree with that point and think, again, he'll have a good year. I just don't know if those numbers will look quite like they did last year. So switching to the defense, let's start with the guy that has been there and, and is a veteran at this point, and Nolan Smith. I had the over-under at 70 tackles. I believe he had something like 56 last year, so that would be upping what he did a year ago. Uh, Kip, where are you leaning? What do you think about Nolan? That number of 70 would be a career high. Um, what what do you think of over under on that one? Uh, I feel pretty safe in taking the under there. I just don't think that position is one that it results in a, a high number of tackles in general. I just don't think that, uh, you know, they're asking him to pursue the ball carrier like that. Uh, so I, I think that, and I just don't think in, in Kirby Smart's defense you've really had an edge defender, you know, I think he may have the the high for any any of their uh, outside linebackers as far as tackles. It's just not what that position's asked to do most of the time, unless he's getting logging some time in at star. Uh, which I mean, they did that with Leonard Floyd. You know, you could see them do something like that. They did it a little bit with Lorenzo Carter, so it's possible. But uh, it, I, I think sixty five tackles is probably a good projection for a high for nolan smith and i think you know it that's probably a good year for him if he has 65 tackles so that's where i'll, I'll say he, he ends up with I, I think that if he's got 70 tackles it, it, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit like uh, you know was that good for the georgia's defense that he had that many tackles i mean that's just something that's you know you, you want those inside backers to kind of clean up and and, and uh you know, kind of pad the stats a little bit. That's just how their defense has been designed to do so far. Yeah, to me, that 70 tackle mark, it, it kind of strikes me of like an inside linebacker in this defense, something like that. So I think I'm going under. I think he's ready to play a big role. I think he knows there's high expectations, not so much from a stats perspective, but just the, the role he's going to play, the leadership he's been asked to play and fill, given what this defense lost again, lost eight starters from last year. I'm going to go under, but I think Nolan's ready for a big year and has a chance uh, to put together one. Uh, switching gears to Jalen Carter. So I have at 9.5 tackles for a loss. That is the mark, if I'm not mistaken, he hit last year. So we're essentially saying, does Jalen Carter have a better year statistically this time around than he did a year ago? Kip, where are you feeling on this one? Nine and a half tackles for a loss for Jalen Carter. I think that... Almost every year, Georgia has someone break into double digits as far as tackles for loss. So if you know, we're looking at this team, who best projects to do that? It's definitely Jalen Carter. I mean, he is that guy. It's just kind of back to that Brock Bowers thing. Like everybody knows who Jalen Carter is. There's been, you know, we've written about him all offseason. You know, the number one interior defensive lineman. This isn't you know, Trayvon Walker, where he kind of comes out of, I mean, we knew he was talented, but as far as that number one overall pick trajectory, uh, Jalen Carter's already kind of, you know, been anointed as, you know, pushing uh, Will Anderson for the best defensive player in the country. And so with that being said, I think every team is going to know exactly where he lines up on every play. 
he's going to have to earn every tackle for a loss he gets. But he's also the probably like the freakiest uh, you know lineman in a elite group of freaky defensive linemen last year. And it just says a lot about you know his skill set, and so I don't, I'm not sure it's going to matter if they double and triple team him. I still think he's going to get his. And so I think, you know, if, if you're looking at an over-under, I, I, I think he gets 10 and a half. Uh, I think that's a safe bet for him, and it's kind of a safe bet just for Georgia's defense in general. I think DeAndre Walker had like 11, 13 and a half, you know, from the edge roster position. I think Roquan Smith, N'Kobe Dean have both gone in the double digits. Georgia hasn't had a, you know, interior defensive lineman get that mark, I believe. Uh, so it'll kind of be a little bit of a change as far as, you know, what Georgia's front defensive front, you know, they're known for taking up blockers, but, you know, they're not known for padding the stats. But I just think he's kind of a different player. And I think Georgia wants to have havoc plays. And you have to look at the roster and know that he's the guy that best, you know, he gives you the best opportunity for those. So I think they're going to scheme to put him in situations where, he can get a one-on-one situation or move him around, you know, have him at, at, at in at times, have him, you know, stand up at times, you know, just a few people at his size can move like he does. So I think they're going to put him in situations where he's going to be able to crack double digit tackles for loss this season. Yeah, I'm going over. I feel very confident, confident about what Jalen can do this year. I think he's got a great chance to pass nine and a half tackles for loss. I think the situation where people know who he is, I go back to last year in that playoff run when they had Jordan Davis, when they had Devontae Wyatt, there was plenty of talk of people being like, yeah, man, those guys are good, but this 88, this 88 is who we're really worried about. This is the guy that concerns us. I think he's just that guy. I think he's got a great opportunity to shine in this defense. I think obviously there's going to be a lot of pressure and expectations put on those guys around him to open up opportunities. You know, guys like Zion Lowe, guys like Tramiel Walthour, who else plays at defensive end. Those guys are going to have to help allow uh, Jalen Carter to shine because there is going to be a whole lot of attention, a whole lot of double teams paid to him. But I think Jalen Carter's ready to shine. I think he's got a real opportunity to put together a good year and uh, has an opportunity to be one of those top picks when we get to next April. Uh, before we move on, Brad Bush said, who will lead the defense in sacks, though? Where are you leaning, Kip? Because I, I've kind of gone back and forth. I think Nolan Smith, and I also kind of like a, maybe a more sneaky pick, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, because I could see those inside linebackers really getting a chance to get after the quarterbacks. Yeah, I was thinking about Pop as well. It just seems like one of those where you might have three guys with 6'6", six, six, and and maybe, uh, you know, maybe Jalen Carter has six and a half and and leads the team there but i think pop is set up to play a lot of snaps you know probably up there as far as the 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 most snaps on the defense maybe other than you know chris smith at at safety i think he's going to lead the team in a lot of statistical categories i think this is kind of a going to be a big breakout year for pop so yeah i think he could he could definitely you know have over five um I just think it's one of those years where Georgia might have three or four guys with six, six and a half, and and maybe not a guy that's in that nine to ten range this year. So I like your pick a pop. I, I think Jalen Carter will be right there. Um, I'm interested to see just because we saw how Robert Beal kind of came on at the end of the year. 
uh, can he do that, you know, when he's starting, you know, against a pretty good offensive line in Oregon, you know, he's now the guy at one position for Georgia and not just coming in because, uh, you know, they lose an impact player on their defense. So can he be that guy over the course, uh, you know, of, of a season? That's something I'm interested in seeing. Obviously, the experience is going to help him. And, and he came out of high school, pretty talented player as well. I just think it's going to be one of those where all four of those guys are probably over five sacks for the year, pretty close to each other. Go to the next one. Cornerback Keely Ringo, three and a half sack or three and a half sacks, three and a half interceptions. Kip, uh, I, I think I'm going to go slightly over. You know, this is a challenging one to me, more on the fact of how much is Keeley going to be tested? How much are teams going to be willing to throw his way to give him opportunities? You know, I think that people know, again, who Keely Ringo is after the play he made in that national championship game, after the way he progressed and the improvements he made once he got into that starting lineup last year. Uh, I'm going to go over. I think it will be a challenge in the fact that a lot of players, a lot of teams are not going to want to challenge him. And that'll lead to opportunities for Kamari Laster. You know, he may be a guy that sneakily leads the team in interceptions because they're going to try to test that new starting corner. Uh, but I'm going to go slightly over. I think Keeley is going to be able to make some big plays and uh, has an opportunity to, to help a secondary that obviously still has talent, but is replacing some big pieces from last year. Yeah, you mentioned Kamari Laster. That's that's who I think leads the team in interceptions. I just think he's that's he's gonna get those throws. Just I mean, when you when you're the other cornerback and people kind of know what uh, Keeley brings to the table now, uh, you're gonna have a lot of opportunities. But uh, as far as that over under, I'm kind of thinking back to even in the COVID shortened 2020 year. You know when Eric Stokes kind of came back as the guy, team still threw at him enough were you know they 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 wanted to make sure you know that their scouting reports were correct and and he made them pay for it i think eric Stokes had four interceptions during those nine games that, that he played in so uh, i like the over under you set uh, I, I think that i wanted to go slightly over but now you know i think he's gonna have four i just think back to that eric stokes year i think keely ringo you know has that in him to be able to to make plays in the ball when he needs to. And we obviously saw him made a, make a pretty good play in the ball when he needed to the most. And I think, you know, that's going to carry over to this year. If you're, if, you know, if you're going to be a, uh, one of the best cornerbacks in the country, you're still going to have to, you know, prove it when the, when the ball's throwing your way. And I, I think that Keely is, is set up to do just that. So I think he has four picks this year and, uh, you know, hopefully for Georgia, plays pretty sound defense on one side of the field because that's exactly what they need in that secondary. It's pretty young out there. Kip, special teams matter. We talk about it and we harp on it, and we are going to use that to our advantage, talk a little bit of over-unders on special teams. You get all the facts here, man. We're going in-depth. We're going to start with Jackpot Lesney, 83% on his field goal attempts. I'm going to go slightly under, and only because... He's been pretty much right at 81 the last two years. And the reason that kind I kind of hesitate to go over is they've got a new holder. And, and that's something that I think we kind of lose sight of. You know, you think about Jake Camarda, everything he did as a punter, you know, there is an adjustment that comes to having a new holder. So I think that Jack's going to have a good year and be a, a very good kicker. But I'm going to go slightly under. I think he is right around that 81% that he has had the last two years as Georgia's place kicker. 
Yeah, it also, I guess, just comes down to uh, like what situations they putting him in the kick. Are they, you know, are they uh, asking him to to launch a couple fifty two yarders? It's it's tough to project that over the course of the year. I'm I'm not a uh, kicking always stresses me out to begin with. It's just it's such a it's a different football game. We see them, uh, you know, uh, actually throwing the ball and holding the ball, and and now we're doing something completely different with it. So that's a whole nother rant for another day but i i think he's established kind of who he is as a kicker and i think that i mean if he improves to 82 percent you know it's still an improvement uh i don't have him hitting the the over on that i think 82 percent is probably right where he you know he probably is going to be we've seen him kick over 40 field goals so far so we kind of have a good you know, a good feel for, for what he brings to the table. There's going to be a game or two or, you know, maybe he has multiple misses and then he'll go on an eight or nine in a row streak. And so, you know, the, I think that sets up what, still well for Georgia. And I think he's still one of the better kickers in the country, uh, you know, and, and 82% is, is what they'll have to live with this year. Wrap up the special teams with Brett Thorson, the punter from down under, is probably going to be the starter, going to be a freshman. 42 yards per punt and Kip I am really struggling with this one because I feel like that's about right where I'm very proud of where I set this line because that's sort of where I'm teetering back and forth I'm gonna go slightly over I'm not expecting you know he's I don't think he's gonna win the Ray guy as a freshman but I think he can have a good year I think he can build on just being more consistent and being more comfortable you know this is gonna be a whole new experience for him Coming from Australia, you know, we've heard some of the stories from back in the spring just about how he's adjusting to living in America. You know, that's a lot. Uh, but I'm going to go slightly over. I think he has a really good freshman year uh, as he prepares to, you know, potentially be that punter for Georgia the next four years. Yeah, I think he comes in. Uh, and he's almost as old as Stetson already coming in. But uh, I think, uh, I mean, I got to know, I got to see him punt. It, it's tough, like. I mean, we talk about this, you know, Australian style uh, punting. You know, is he going to be doing any rugby style? I know there's some pushback against uh, that and, and whether or not that's actually, you know, going to be utilized, whether George is going to have him do that at all. I mean, that kind of affects where where I stand with, uh, with this average. I, I think that maybe hang time might actually improve under him. But, you know, even Jake Camarda, I mean, he's, one of the best punters Georgia's ever had, you know, if not the best as far as just the, the average. And he averaged over 45 yards over his career. But, you know, that that first year he was barely under 42 or over 42. And so I think just it's might be asking a lot of Brett to come in and, and, and average over 42 in year one. I mean, that's is he going to be better than Jake Camarda as, as a freshman? does the age play a role there uh you know or the fact that he hasn't played in a football game it's just uh there's a lot of uh unknown with, with him probably the greatest unknown for for us covering georgia heading into the season uh you know they you know they have obviously a better idea of what they have in him than we do i don't i don't see him hitting 42 i see i see it being under 42 Still, maybe by design. Like I said, I don't know how this guy's even going to be punting. And so, <laughs> once I see him in the game, you know, if he actually has to punt against Oregon, we'll see. Uh, I'll have a better idea of what he brings to the table. But for right now, it's like 
we didn't even see him after he committed to Georgia. It was just like maybe a, a short workout video and that's it. So no idea. No idea what he brings to the table. Uh, Georgia, I mean, I'm sure they've been fairly impressed with him. And if he's got the, you know, the inside line on the job, then he's probably going to be pretty good. I don't know. I think 42 is kind of a high bar for him. I'll put him at 41 and a half uh, with impressive hang time. Maybe he's he can cough and punt it a lot. Maybe he's pinning guys, you know, inside the five a lot. That might be his forte that he brings to the table. Uh, and I think Georgia will utilize that because I think special teams has really been a, an underrated aspect of Kirby Smart's uh, tenure. I think he's done a pretty good job the last couple of years. Had one of the better special teams units in the years. It's that combination of, you know, a field goal kicking and punting. It's been pretty impressive. So uh, I don't think that's going to, to change at all. Uh, so I think 41 and a half, uh, but, but with some, some asterisks there, a little bit of context of, of maybe him averaging a little bit less because that's what they want him to do. Let's take kind of a broader picture, broader look at this team and look at the offense and the defense. I've got the offense over under a 40 points per game. That's just a tick above what they had last year. And then the defense, 20 points per game. The defense gave up just a little over 10 points per game last year. Uh, Kip, where are you leaning on both of these? What, what do you think of offense scoring 40 points per game and the defense maybe giving up around 20 points per game? I feel pretty confident in the over on the offense. I, I think this is an offense that can score 41 to 42 a game. I know that some people are going to say, you know, what is Kirby Smart going to do in the third and fourth quarter? I still think they're probably going to have comfortable leads in most of their games. So I, that, that is a, a fair question, but I still think that comfortable for him, it, it you know, 10, 13 points probably still has them out there uh, trying to push the ball downfield. And uh, I think that bodes well for Georgia's offense as far as the output. I, th I think they're over 41 and maybe pushing 42 points a game this year. And if we're talking about, yeah, scoring defense, uh, yeah, last year's defense was special. It, you know, it, it was the best defense we, we've probably seen, you know, in the last – 10, 20 years. And so even if Georgia's defense takes a 50% downgrade from last year, uh, you know, there's still, it still has them giving up 16 points a game. And that would still be a defense that's either fourth or fifth best in the country. And so, and that's probably right around where I have Georgia this year. I think that they're going to be in that 16 to 17 point range and still be inside the top 10. I mean, losing guys to the draft is something that you talk about in the offseason. We talked about it this time a year ago. Georgia had lost a lot in the secondary. We weren't sure about the defense, and it ended up being a historic defense. So, yes, they're going to have guys that are young at positions, but those guys are really, really talented. And so I think that Georgia's schedule sets up well. Uh, I, I think they're going to get a lot of young guys experience early on. And I think towards the end of the season, they're probably going to be playing pretty stellar defense. Once these guys, you know, have experience, know what to expect and the game slows down for them and they're able to react quicker and, and use their instincts rather than reacting after the snap. And so, yeah, I think early on, you might have a, a team or two score 20, 21 points, uh, but toward the end of the year, 
And when they're playing teams that throw the ball a lot more, like Tennessee and Mississippi State, I think they'll be they'll be ready. It's all about getting that secondary up to speed and getting those guys ready. Obviously, getting the inside backers some experience as well. But the, those guys were recruited to Georgia for a reason. We look at the recruiting rankings. They didn't take a dip. Uh, I don't really believe in, in rebuilding uh, in college football. Everyone's got the exact same amount of players. They've got the exact same amount of recruiting classes they're able to bring in. So I, I think Georgia's set up to have a top 10 defense. And even, like I said, uh, if they're allowing six more points than they did last year or allowing a touchdown more game, uh, they're still inside the top 10. And that's exactly where I think they're going to be when all is said and done. You hit my points, uh, Kip. I'm thinking slightly over for the offense and still going under on the defense. I think 17, 18 points makes sense to me. And not only my, my point when it comes to that pick, again, we know the talent on this roster. When you've seen some of these guys and understand they're going to be walking into bigger roles and, and asked to do more. But I think the schedule is very favorable. I think that it's manageable and, and that's going to help, particularly early in the year, you know, there are some tests, but I mean, getting a chance to play a Sanford, to play Kent State, to help these guys kind of get their feet under them, I think is going to be very helpful. Uh, I think this defense has a chance to be one of the nation's best again. Not expecting what we saw last year. I think I've stressed that over and over when I've been on radio hits talking about it. That bar may never be touched by any defense, much less the one right after the one from last year. Uh, but I think this defense has a chance to be very, very good and has a chance to shine again in 2022. Kip, let's turn the focus toward the actual season, talking about season predictions. I can sort of start on this, what we think Georgia's going to do, where we think uh, things are going to end up. Uh, on Friday, I will have a story really breaking down in detail my game predictions, talking about final scores, talking about how things are going to play out. Just as a preview to that, I have Georgia going 12-0 in the regular season. There are only two games that I had Georgia as a favorite by less than 10 points, and those two games are late in the season. It's going to be at Mississippi State, and after that, the week after that, at Kentucky. I have Georgia beating Mississippi State by four points, and I have Georgia beating Kentucky by a touchdown. The rest of these games, I think, are very manageable. I think the fact you look specifically at those two games Late in the year, both games on the road. Mississippi State is not a team uh, that is, uh, you know, is not up for the challenge of playing highly ranked teams. They've done a very good job in the short time Mike Leach has been there at being able to pull upsets, beating ranked teams. Obviously, his very first game during that 2020 COVID year, they beat the defending national champions LSU. Uh, I think that that's going to be a very tight game. To me, that's the game that screams to me uh, an opportunity that Georgia could lose on the road. I still have Georgia winning. Again, I have Georgia going 12-0. I think this team is very good. I think it benefits from the schedule. Oregon's going to be the toughest game as far as non-conference goes. The fact that you play South Carolina early in the in the year, you do have to go there, but they're coming off a travel uh, a road game at Arkansas. I think that's going to be a very physical game that's going to wear out South Carolina and, and help Georgia when it comes to playing that road game. Uh, the opportunities they have with the schedule, getting Tennessee, who I have finishing second in the East, getting them at home I think is a huge win. Uh, I think that that's going to help Georgia significantly. Um, so, yeah, I have Georgia going 12-0 in the regular season. I'll go ahead and say that I think they're going to play Alabama in the SEC title game. 
I think Alabama is going to win that game. I do think Georgia has a chance to still make the playoff, probably get in as that fourth seed at my four playoff teams. Uh, we're Alabama, Ohio State, Utah, and Georgia. Um, so, And I think that would qualify as a very successful season, coming off what they lost, coming off having 15 players drafted. Uh, I think Georgia has an opportunity to have a really good year, and it's going to be fascinating to see how they get started uh, on Saturday. The schedule is really favorable for Georgia. Just looking now back at last year's schedule, it was 100% more difficult than, than this one. I think you said it. It's it's in that month of November toward the end of the year. No team's really healthy. You have no idea what you know the teams are going to to really look like in terms of you know who's hurt and who's not. But just looking at the teams right now on paper, uh, Georgia will be favored by double digits in every game they play this year during the regular season. I mean, we're seeing it right now. We're talking about Oregon. At worst, I think it's pretty universal. It's a top three opponent for Georgia this season. I mean, you can mix in, obviously, Florida's in there, you know, whether it's Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, and, you know, they're all in the mix there as well. But uh, Georgia's favored by 17 and a half. And, and so that kind of tells you, what people think about the talent Georgia still has on the roster this year. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there are games where Georgia will be pushed, but I think their road games are all manageable. And I think that if I think Kentucky could still be the second best team in the East, but like I said before, what they're trying to do is too similar to what Georgia tries to do for them to, to really be, you know, uh, the type of team to catch Georgia off guard. Georgia's not going to let them win the line of scrimmage battle. And and I think that, you know, playing at Kentucky, sure. I mean, that adds that element. And maybe at that time of the year, what's the weather going to be like? But uh, Kirby's, I mean, Kirby's been there before. And, and he knows what to tell the, the team that week. Uh, I, I, I think the toughest stretch of the year for Georgia will be that uh, – you know, that first and second week in November. It's it's Tennessee and Mississippi State. Uh, it, it's this the youth in the secondary. These teams are going to throw the ball. They're going to throw the ball a lot. Has Georgia's secondary gotten enough reps, and are they playing at a high enough level? Do they have the depth to be able to withstand teams that are just going to sit back and, and throw the ball all day? Being a little bit one-dimensional uh, will probably play into, you know, Glenn Schumann and, and Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart's plans a little bit, but they, they still have to have the team ready for that. And they, they got to have the depth there and not just in the secondary, but they got to have pass rushers who, who can come in and, 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 you know, still affect the quarterback. I think Hendon Hooker is a guy that you really got, I mean, you got to get in his face and, and, or he is going to pick you apart and dink and dug down the field. Um, you know, all the, all the off season discussion on Anthony Richardson, I don't see anything, you know, that tells me he's a better quarterback than Hendon Hooker is. I think that's the best, you know, pure passer that Georgia will face during this season. And I, I think he's, you know, he's a guy, when you're looking at teams that could potentially upset Georgia, it has to start at the quarterback position. And you got to have a guy who can, you know, make plays and lift his team up when they're not, when they're playing a team they're not as talented as. And I, he is one of those guys that I think can do that. Um, 
looking at the rest of the schedule, I don't see it. I don't see it with Anthony Richardson. Uh, you know, if Kirby's right and Bo Nix is the starter for Oregon, I think he's a guy that Georgia knows well enough to be able to prepare for. Getting him on the ground is obviously the key there. Uh, and I think that, you know, they have the guys to do that. And, and yeah, just look, looking at the rest of the schedule, I, I think that it bodes really well for Georgia. I think they go into Atlanta 12-0. and 0, And I, I think the key for them in those last couple of games, you know, when you're playing Kentucky, but then playing Georgia Tech, is you got to remember what happened last year when you went to Atlanta. You kind of cruised through that season and got all the the press and and the and the high rankings. They're going to need to remember that in November if they're coming into November, you know, eight and zero. They're going to have to remind themselves that they they've been humbled before, and I think that's what Kirby Smart's going to work on this season. Is when everyone loves you, you know, that's that's really when you have to push yourself the hardest because uh, you can really, you know, you can have a letdown game. And if Georgia loses during the regular season, I think it's going to be pretty universally considered a letdown game for Georgia. If any, I mean, so it's up to them. And so as of right now on paper, I think 12 and 0 is a pretty solid bet for the Georgia Bulldogs. Jimmy Spires said earlier in this uh, broadcast, my dogs will have an upset loss to Tennessee because they play too fast. The only reason I want to bring that up was during one of the viewing periods we had a few weeks ago, as we walked out there, you heard Kirby yelling, Tennessee, 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 and trying to get everybody lined up. They were working on, you know, it's not even the start of the year. They understand they have to be ready and conditioned mm-hmm. for when that game comes because Tennessee is going to be moving quick. Definitely. I think and that's really that aspect is their their goal is going to be to – cancel out your ability to rotate and keep those guys on the field, you know, as long as possible. I think, you know, that was that, that one question mark with, with, with a guy like Jordan Davis, you know, he definitely impacts the game when he's on the field, but you know, he's only giving you 20 snaps a game, but Jalen Carter, you know, that he's going to be that guy who who can be on the field three downs for them. It's up to some of these other guys to, to show that, you know, they, they can be those guys too, that late in the game, you know, hands on your hips, uh, can you still, you know, reel it in and, and, and play high-level football? And we we heard it last year with the players and Kirby basically toward the end of the year is the hardest time for them was in practice. And it, it leads to some injuries and then some of their guys being banged up, but it also leads to them, you know, the the, the toughness that they had. And, you know, that kind of conditioning. If If we're pushed the hardest in practice, then Saturday should be a breeze. And so I, I definitely think that's that's what George is going for. And I, I think that uh, it should bode pretty well for them. I mean, Tennessee ran a lot of plays last year. Uh, I think they had what? Uh, they had like 85 plays on offense last year. And uh, it took every one of those plays, you know, for them to uh, to get in the end zone more than once. And I think if if, if they're getting in the end zone twice against Georgia, they're probably still not going to win that football game. You know, so they may score 14 or 17 or even 20 against Georgia this year, but they still might lose by three touchdowns. Before we get out of here, Kip, uh, last night, Monroe Freeland commits to Georgia. Big four-star gives Georgia its 19th commit in the 2023 class. Just quick thoughts on, on what that addition means for Georgia getting another big offensive lineman in this class. I guess it means Stacy Sarles gets to keep his job into the season. Man, uh, I was I was worried there, Kip. 
Yeah, you know that the off season is is ruthless, and and Georgia fans have high standards in recruiting for sure. Uh, but you know when when you go from Sam Pittman to Matt Luke to Stacy Sarles, you know you still want you, you want to see the results be kind of similar. I mean, Georgia fans got spoiled. I mean, Sam Pittman, as far as a recruiter is concerned, is probably the best offensive line recruiter uh, of any school of recent. Uh, and Matt Luke, being a former head coach, I mean, he he held it down and maybe, you know, maybe got more out of his offensive line than Sam Pittman did. And now, yeah, Stacey Serrell is a guy that, again, known as being a, a very highly thought of tactician as far as his ability to coach the offensive line, he's very highly regarded in the coaching circles. It's it's recruiting where, like, you know, can he keep up with Kirby Smart's standard that he set at Georgia? And you just kind of look at this first class that Stacey Searles has for Georgia. It's a pretty solid group. Uh, they got recruited against by everyone based on all the guys they already had on board from the previous classes and the offensive line coaches. But now he's got three four stars and a three star that uh, is probably going to end up being a steal and a guy that worked out for Georgia and Joshua Miller that now Andrew Ivan saw him last weekend and said this guy is the real deal. So it looks like Stacy Searles identified and, and landed several highly uh, talented offensive line prospects and lo and behold, Georgia's back at number three in in the class rankings. Uh, Kirby Smart's recruiting is is not gone off the rails. I guess you know he's still got a chance. Uh, they can keep the the ten year contract extension for him. He could stay at Georgia a couple more years, and uh, maybe that the the summer recruiting. We're going to remember this next summer when when Georgia misses on a couple of guys. Uh, maybe hold tight there and, and let the recruiting cycle take care of itself a little bit. No NILs change things a little bit, but Georgia's offensive line group is really talented. I really like what Monroe brings to the table. 6'7", 285 pounds, uh, prototype left tackle. Uh, you, you pair him with a guy like Bo Hewley, you got yourself a, a, a pair of bona fide offensive tackles. And you know, everyone can talk about wide receivers as much as they want, but the line of scrimmage is where Georgia has won under Kirby Smart. It's what he said when he got the job. I'm going to win the battle at the line of scrimmage. And he's continuing to do that on the recruiting trail. So I think I don't think that that system's going away anytime soon. We're going to wrap it up right there. Appreciate everybody popping on to listen to our season preview. Appreciate Kip taking some time uh, to talk and go through these over-unders and what we think is going to happen this year. Thanks to everybody who is watching on Facebook Live and also on YouTube. Make sure, again, look in the comments. We've got a link to Dogs247's YouTube page. I want to make sure and give a shout out to our junkyard board member Duke. We're thinking about you today. Uh, had a chance uh, to uh, see uh, some of the comments on our board. It was really nice to see that. So we are going to wrap it up right there for Kip Adams. I am Jordan Hill again. Thanks everybody for watching, for listening, for subscribing. Make sure and tell all your friends about the podcast. Again, go to the YouTube and subscribe to Dogs Two Four Seven. Appreciate everybody. We will have another episode later this week, uh, talking with Oregon beat writers and, and talking about this game on Saturday. It'll be really interesting and really exciting uh, to hop on and see what they have to say. So, until then, thanks everybody. Take care and uh, get ready for game day on Saturday.